That was super funny when he said it was short. I was like, I think he's making fun of me. <laughs> and uh, this will also be very short. Uh, I'm super glad that you guys are here. And for those of you who weren't able um, to make it last night, you missed the most life-changing, unduplicatable moment. No, not really. Um, it was mediocre at best. But um, I'm thrilled that you guys are here. Um, Today we're going to talk about a really big subject. Now, I, it's hard for me to like, do testimony while sharing on this subject, so I'll just give you very briefly. Um, I grew up uh, in uh, a really dysfunctional home. My mom was a paranoid schizophrenic. My dad was an alcoholic. I started to use drugs when I was 11. Actually, I started to smoke cigarettes when I was 11. By the time I was 13, I was doing coke. It was a bad, bad way to go. Um, and by the way, for those of you who are young who think it can't happen to you, it can happen to you. So... Um, I, uh, I, it, I used drugs to the degree where I qualified for a 12-step program by the time I was 17 and uh, wanted nothing to do with Jesus. I had zero desire. Like when I say zero desire, less than zero desire. I wasn't, uh, uh, I wasn't like agnostic or an atheist. I was like anti-theism. I hated any concept of God. And uh, I remember, yeah. I'll just, I'll just share with you the story and you tell me, because uh, I know some of y'all might not believe uh, some of this stuff, but it's, um, I was on the train and I was going to be a Buddhist. Uh, and so like in America, if you're going to be a Buddhist, every good Buddhist needs to read uh, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. True story. And so it's like, it was like in the 70s, it was like a hugely popular book. Um, and I read it and I was like, oh man, Eightfold Path, I'm down. I'm going to be a Buddhist. And so... I uh, I remember I, I read his follow-up book to that, and somewhere on page 70-something, I still remember, it was like 30 years ago, um, He uh, there was an argument in the book against his uh, philosophy, and he had no response. And I remember thinking to myself, what is that? And then a few pages later, he said something that required for you to have like faith, like to believe something that you couldn't see, that kind of thing. And uh, I remember just shutting the book and going, oh my goodness, this is ridiculous. I'm never going to find uh, the, you know, I'm never going to uh, believe. And, um, and in that moment, uh, it was in the Queens Plaza train station. It was a summer. It was super hot. Um, the Lord spoke to my heart. I know it was the Lord now because the devil don't talk like this, um, but I thought it just came from me. And uh, the Lord spoke to my heart and he said, Edwin, you are not running uh, towards the truth. You're running from me. I was like, really? And so a couple of, uh, maybe a week or two later, um, I woke up in the middle of the night and uh, I started, oh, by the way, I started to go to a church. I said, okay, God, I'm going to go to a church for like three months. and Or no, I said one year. And I said, all right, if you're going to do something and if you're there, this is stupid. I'm talking to the ceiling. But if you're there, um, say, you know, bring me to yourself or I'm going to be a Buddhist and I'll overcome the little difficulties of some of the things that they believe. And so um, it was amazing. Uh, God woke me up and the alarm went off. 
I went to the kitchen and it said 222. I started walking back. I had gone to church for like maybe two months, three months, something like that. And the only books I knew in the Bible were Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, uh, Acts, and Psalms and Proverbs. That was all my little Pentecostal church knew how to preach on. And, um, and right, yeah, I know. Um, and so it was 222. And remember, this is three decades ago. I still remember. I was walking back, and something in the back of my mind, I say something, but it really was the Holy Spirit, um, said Jeremiah 222. Jeremiah 2.22. So I had been going to church for a few months. I was as good as I was ever going to be. I was, I was crossing little ladies across the street. I wasn't using uh, active drugs. I was less abusive to my wife. I was the best version of myself than I had ever been. I thought I was a good guy. And I was like, oh, man, I think I'm like a Christian now. And so it's uh, Jeremiah 2.22. And I went to sleep. I woke up still blaring in my mind. I said, I wonder if that's in the Bible. Went to work, found the Bible, oh, you know, looked in the, the context, uh, the table of contents, contents, and I was like, oh, there's no Jeremiah here because they had the New Testament on top, and so I was like, oh, there's no, oh, there it is. It's like uh, towards the end, and then um, I looked and I opened it. I was like, does it have two chapters? So I was like, oh my gosh, does it have 22 verses? Oh my gosh, and I closed it and I was like, oh my gosh. I think God is going to tell me that I'm going to be the president of the United States of America. This is unbelievable. And I opened it up and it said this. I read it one time and it tattooed itself to my brain. It said this. Though you clean yourself with hyssop and wash yourself with soap, the stain of your guilt is still upon you. I didn't know what hyssop was. But I knew for sure that was not president of the United States. And, and in a moment, about some time later, I was, I was in um, the shower, and the Lord reminded me of something that I never thought I could be forgiven for. I don't know if you have one of those. I have one of those. It's like, okay, you can be forgiven for anything. I'm not even going to tell you what it is because it might distract you. But I have one of those. One of those things that I think could never be forgiven. And in that moment, in that moment, the Lord spoke to my heart. The Holy Ghost spoke to my heart and said one word, forgiven. And I had known in that moment, although I could not articulate it, I knew in that moment that the Lord Jesus had propitiated the wrath of the Father, dying for my sin, giving me what I could not earn, and bestowing upon me a cleansly, a cleanliness, a cleansing from his blood and taking on the guilt of my wrongdoings. Um, and I never got over that. I still haven't. And so... Um, Right after that, we started to have like homeless people in our house. No kidding, because the preacher said uh, that Jesus took it personal when you visited in prison and you did all this stuff, you know, like feed the, hung uh, feed the hungry, clothe the naked, house the homeless, that kind of thing. And I thought everybody did that. And so it turns out y'all don't do none of that. <laughs> and uh, it's true. And, um, and uh, it was incredible. And so we started this church. And God has been very gracious to 
the most undeserving person you've ever met. Um, and that's that. Now, I know in your tradition, that was the length of the sermon. I know that. But that's just the testimony. <laughs> and uh, we're going to get into the sermon now. I'm just, I'm going to be teasing you guys, all right? So it's, I hope it's okay. All right. And my wife goes, my wife goes, you do know you're overdressed. I go, I know. <laughs> but I was poor my whole life. And this year they had great sales on suits. <laughs> so I got this like for like $99. And I said, I am going to use this no matter how you're dressed. <laughs> so I might wear this tomorrow. I don't know. <laughs> this thing is dope. I don't know. All right. Um, so, okay. Can we, can we pray and ask Jesus? All right, now watch this. We're gonna spend. We're gonna spend some, spend some time here. I'm. I'm gonna try not to go overboard. But what I want to say is, we're gonna be talking about forgiveness, and we're gonna listen to me. We're gonna see love move in a powerful way in each and every one of our hearts. Some of us have to forgive our parents. Some of us have to forgive ourselves. Some of us have to forgive other people, friends who we trusted. I don't know where you are, but here's what I know. When we looked at yesterday was that love is a person that we meet before it's a thing that we do. And and listen to me. As we look to Jesus and see that he looks at us as one who remembers not our wrongs, we discover that... uh, yeah, that love, um, love is powerful enough to even heal our brokenness and our hurts and our wounds, that we might receive that forgiveness and share it with others. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity, this moment where we get to come together. And Lord, it's some of us are still um, back in the city, in our hearts, there are things to do, and why did we come here? And, oh man, all this other stuff. I don't know what Satan's throwing at all of our minds, but I do know this. I do know that you're here. And that you're willing. And that you want to draw us to yourself. I pray, Lord, that we would hear from you. That your spirit would speak powerfully in us. And that you would be glorified. That you would be the happiest person in this room. I love what Norman and the girls were singing. Just, Lord, I need you, 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 I need you. We all do. And so, Lord, would you meet us at the point of our need? Speak deeply into our brokenness and help us to see Jesus in new and heart-changing ways. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So um, I was having a conversation with my son. Uh, He found a bookmark uh, in the library book. And in the bookmark, it was a real nice bookmark, and it had the name of the person whose bookmark it belonged. It was a kid that he knew in his school, interestingly enough. And so I was like, oh, that's super. Dave, you get to give this back to, look, his name is right there. You get to, isn't that cool? He probably lost it. He's probably missing. It was a nice bookmark. I was like, oh man, you get to give it back to him. And my son said to me, uh, I don't want to. I was like, okay. Um, I was like, all right, well, I was like, why? And so I was thinking, oh, 
he's going to tell me it's about coveting. Like he's going to tell me it's about that he likes it. It's a nice bookmarker. And so then him and I would have had a conversation about covetousness, about what it means to like long for something that's not yours and being satisfied in Christ. And then, or, or but he didn't say that. But maybe he would have said, maybe not coveting, but like maybe he would have said something like, you know what, it's too tough to get to his class. He's not in my class. I would have to figure out how to do this between periods. I'm not sure exactly where his class is. To bring the bookmark is a headache. And to find him in the schoolyard, it's a big deal. Uh, to which we would have had a conversation about perseverance and what it looks like to you know, uh, uh, serve Jesus in a way that would cost us something. And we would... We would do that. But he didn't. He said this. He goes, I don't want to give him the bookmark because he's mean to me. And so we had a talk about forgiveness. The very same talk that you and I are going to have right now. Now, I know a thing or two about having to struggle with forgiveness. I don't know about you. This is just, I'm going to tell you my story. I'm not telling you your story. I'm telling you my story. There was one day when I was a little boy and a grown man came into the room that I was in, locked the door, and awful, soul-crushing, sexual identity-questioning things happened that day. And so I've had to wrestle with this issue of forgiveness for a really, really long time. And maybe you, you do too. Maybe it's exactly what I just shared right now. And you're just like, okay, nobody look at me, nobody look at me, nobody look at me. Or maybe your, your issue with forgiveness has to do with people in your home. Maybe mom, maybe dad, maybe husband, maybe wife, maybe kid, maybe parent. I don't know. I do know that wherever I go and I talk about this kind of issue of forgiveness, there isn't a person in the room who goes, well, there's a message I'll never have to use. Because we all struggle with being harmed, hurt, wounded. We're going to be looking at a text. And honestly, I could have, this is, God, this is so like ubiquitous. It's everywhere. That honestly, I could have, it's, it's one of those things where you kind of just like, you could just open your Bible, put your finger on something, and find what the Lord says about forgiving others. It's a huge issue. God knows that we're going to struggle with this. So he gives us this text so that we might be able to respond as we've been responded to, that we might be able to overflow what has already been given and bestowed upon us. It's here that we find our text. But before we do, oh, um, this is so funny. So I know you have like a bulletin, right? But your bulletins are like filled out. And like, I'm a fan of it. If you have a pen or pencil or mascara, um, if you would just take this one and you can actually fill out the things. And it was so cute. Yesterday, I told somebody, I told two people um, that I had like a little like filler things. And they were like, oh, old school. I was like, you dirty. <laughs> <laughs> you dirty, blah, 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 blah. Um, 
And so um, the reason I the reason I wanted to give that to you is because there's something about actually writing it down. There's something about uh, we're we're going to be talking about really heavy things. So I wanted to get into us as deeply as we can, and we're going to race through it. We're going to race through it. So I promise. Nah, I don't promise anything. Just do the best we can, okay? I'm Puerto Rican. I'm going to talk a long time. It's terrible. Get used to it. All right. So here we go. Um, the, the, the overriding principle, the big idea, every time we meet, we're going to have a big idea that if you forget everything else I say, I want you to remember this one big thing. And it's not cute, and it's not going to rhyme, and, you know, but I just, I just want you to try to remember it. And it's this. Um, trust God with the hurts of my life. That's where we're going today. We're moving towards trusting God with the wounds, the scars, the hurts of my life. Trust God with the hurts of my life. So let's go ahead and look at this text, Romans chapter 12, verses 14 through 21. Um, we're gonna, I know it says 9 uh, through 21. <laughs> we're doing real live editing here, okay? I'm helping you out. I'm cutting out 15 minutes from the message just from this, okay? <laughs> All right, so you can thank me later. Okay, uh, verse 14. Uh, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. See, there's a temptation when you and I are hurt. There's a temptation to run from God, not to God. So what we want to learn today is to trust God with our hurts. You see this in Romans 12, 19. Do not, take a re- do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Um, I, I had a moment with the person that I was talking to you about. Um, one day I was crossing the street. This is like, I don't know. This might have been 10 years ago. And um, the person that I told you locked the door and did the harm and all that jazz. Um, I was crossing the street. I know exactly where I was. I was um, cross, on Manhattan Avenue crossing. Um, back then there was a stop sign. Now it's a red light, but back then it was a stop sign. And um, I went to the corner and there's this car that pulled up and in the passenger seat was the guy who had done me the harm. And he looked at me and he stuck his tongue out at me. And then the car fled and the car like went off. And I remember standing there for a long time and having emotions of rage and revenge and wanting to hurt this person. And, um, and the Lord, in his kindness, really gently 
has been pressing into my heart. Don't take revenge, but leave room for God's wrath. It is mine to avenge. I will repay. Growing in that belief has helped me to, I, I could deal with that. I could, I could live with that. I might not ever be able to, and, and how could I? Even if I beat the guy to death, it wouldn't take away the harm that he did to me. There would, no, there would not be any real um, healing in that. So I got to learn how to trust God with the hurts of my life. But here's the deal. If we hurt, if we trust God with the hurts of our lives, that means that we cannot sit on the throne of our hearts. We cannot be the judge. We cannot be the person who sits in authority on our lives. We have to be able to trust God with, we have to be able to trust God even with the scars that we live with. So how do we do that? Because that's a tall order. How, do, how, does, how does that happen in our lives? Here it is. Number one, we pray, write that down, we pray for those who've harmed me. Just write that down. I pray for those who've harmed me. Look at Romans 12, 14. Blessed, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. That word bless there is practically a synonym for prayer. We're to pray for those who have harmed us. I remember one time I was talking to uh, a friend of mine who has like been a, like a father to me. And I called him up and this is before I came to Christ. And he, I was, there was a guy at work and he was taking credit for the work that I was doing and he was blaming me for stuff that I didn't do. He's one of those. I don't know if you've ever had one of those. It's awful. It's awful because you go into work every day with a knot in your stomach. And what was more awful is that he was the owner, not the boss's, the owner's nephew. So it was a no-win battle. You know what I mean? And so I remember calling uh, George and uh, telling him about this. And he goes, Edwin, why don't you... Because I told him I was going to like break his kneecap because we happened to walk... I'll let you into my sickness. Um, that we worked in this alley. You had to go down this alley. And at night, it was really dark down the alley. So I had figured, this is... You know, and this is before they had cameras. And like I said, it was before I came to Christ. So don't judge me or I'll judge you. And uh, no, I'm kidding. Um, sort of. <laughs> um, but he goes like this. He goes, I was telling him the story. I was like, okay, yeah, I'm going to meet him in the alley. I'm going to break his kneecap. He won't be able to come to work for weeks, and at least I'll have some peace. And so, and so he goes, hey, Ed, I got a better idea. Why don't you do this? Why don't you start praying for him? <laughs> praying for him. Honestly, if he was in front of me, I would have just, like, it would have been like a knee-jerk reaction. I just would have punched him in the mouth. It would have just like, are you kidding me? Pray for him. You, did you not just hear my story? Did you not just hear what this guy was doing? And he was, listen, he was like, Edwin, it's, it's hard to grow in bitterness when you're growing in prayer for someone who's harmed you. Because the option when someone hurts us is to grow bitter or to get better. That's actually not on there. But it's a good line, so you might want to write that down. That is an option for you. And believe me, I have counseled enough marriages. When they're walking in, I go, oh, bitterness. 
oh, okay. Okay. It's not about what they did last week. It's not about how they didn't respond. It's not about him being late. It's bitterness. I get it. But when we pray for those who have harmed, when I pray for those who have harmed me, a miracle happens. God starts to soften my heart. And I haven't forgiven the person. That's the next step. But God has started to soften my heart so that I could see at least that um, this person is a person and not just this like caricature that I've made. Isn't it true that those who have harmed you, they're like in a caricature? They're like, um, uh, like, you know, like when you see a cartoon and it's like, yes, send the hounds. And it's like, you know, right? And so anybody who sinned against you is like this evil cartoon villain, right? But like when you sin, you're like, uh, uh, what was the guy, uh, uh, Killmonger in, uh, uh, what was that? Yeah, Black Panther. Remember, it was like complicated. It was like, but he was done wrong. And like his father was murdered. And it was like a, it was like a, a totally, a totally in-depth like uh, type of thing. So when you and I sin, we're like, no, no, you don't understand. It's, it's complicado. <laughs> there are reasons but when they sin against us, it's a caricature, you know, right? It's like, so when we pray for them, we break them out of that caricature and we come to face with the king of the universe who reminds us of our own brokenness. Pray for those. This is how we're going to trust God with our hurts. What does it look like to trust God with our hurts? First, we pray for those who we've, who've harmed me. I pray for those who've harmed me. Secondly, I forgive those who've harmed me. Look at Romans twelve seventeen. Forgive those who've harmed me. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but be, care, uh, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of anyone. I know it doesn't say for, uh, forgive there, but do you see that? Do not repay anyone evil for evil. We forgive those who've harmed us. Now, how do we do that? How do we live in not repaying evil for evil or forgiving those who have harmed us? I got three ideas here. One is don't harm them directly. You know what we call that? Revenge. Don't do that. Don't harm them directly. Don't try to get them fired. Don't try to, you know, right? Husband, hurt your feelings. So, you know, what can you say? It's going to be a cold night uh, for a lot longer than the winter will allow. And, um, or she's not giving me what I need, so I'm going to be emotionally unavailable. You see, you don't, you don't repay someone. You don't harm them directly. That's called revenge. Secondly, you don't cause them indirect harm. That's called gossip. This is easy for me because I can share with my friends about how I'm a victim of someone who's harmed me. And I can, you know, I'm, I speak for a living, so I can be pretty convincing about how they've harmed me and and all that, and just really uh, smear their name. That's called gossip. And then thirdly, don't imagine harming them. That's called fantasy. So I don't know about you, but I have never had an argument in my mind that I've lost. Have you? Like, I have arguments in my mind with people I'm at odds with and who have harmed me, and we're like arguing. I've never lost a fight in my mind. I've never lost an argument in my mind. I am 100 for 100. I never lose. And it always makes me 
sicker and more bitter by doing so. So I pray for those who have harmed me. I forgive those who have harmed me. And thirdly, in this text, you see it also. I'm at peace with those who have harmed me. Be at peace with them. Romans 12, 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace. They might still be at war with you. They might still want to fight. It was interesting. I I have this person who um, wants to be at war with me. And, um, And if you hear my story, I'm the hero and he's the villain. And if you hear his story, interestingly enough, he's the hero and I'm the villain. And... I, I saw him, I was in this um, meeting, and he walked into this meeting uh, that I was in, and I just burst out laughing. I don't know why I burst out laughing. It was probably like one of those nervous laughters. Um, I have that like thing when I'm nervous that I start to laugh, which is a terrible trait as a husband, because like you could be in like a real scary situation and just start chuckling, and your wife is like, what are you doing? Where is this real? Um, but um, I just burst out laughing. And I walked up to him, and I think that might have disarmed him, actually. And I walked up to him, and I gave him a hug. Man, I said, it's been too long, man. We haven't seen each other in a while. And he didn't punch me, and he didn't curse at me or anything like that. We sat next to each other. He left 10 minutes later. <laughs> the meeting was an hour and a half. He left 10 minutes later. But as far as it depended on me, being at peace, it was a gift that the Lord gave me. Romans 12, 20 says this, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, I'm sorry, uh, I'm reading the next one. Um, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live in peace with everyone. Fourthly, give them what they need. Give them what they need. This is important. Because giving people what they need is not like um, the sappy kind of love that we talk about in secular society. So let me, let me give you some examples in my world. A person using drugs who comes up to me and says, can I have $10? You just go, I just want to be loving towards them. I just, they need $10. No, no, no. They don't need $10. At that moment, they need someone to tell them, dude, you might be an addict. We need to sit down, man. This is really affecting. That's what they need. That's the most loving thing that I can do. A child who's running, um, running off into a sinful lifestyle doesn't need uh, a parent to come up to them and just go, hey, man, don't worry, you know, it's okay, just keep on doing what you're doing, we'll figure it out later. No, it's just like, hey, you remind me of someone. I remember my daughter, she was um, not a daughter that was here, uh, not, not the daughter that's here, she was... Um, doing some stuff that was sinful. And uh, she was covering it up. I know none of you have ever done anything like that. She was covering it up with lies. And the Lord revealed it to me in like a really dramatic fashion. I'll tell you sometime about how he did it. But it was like crazy. And so I went up to her. And it took me, it was actually grievous enough that I needed like three or four days. Have you ever been so angry that you needed three or four days before you could talk about it? Because you knew I have enough experience that when I talk about something that I'm angry about, I, I don't do well 
the people around me don't feel loved. You know, I, I, I'm a exploder kind of thing. So I went up to her after about three or four days. And I said, hey, listen, good news. I found out that I am not the only liar in the household. I said, can we talk about what's been going on for the last couple of months? And it's just like, I was like, and then I told her my story. I was like, here, I've lived like this my whole life. Hiding secrets. I said, I know what that's like. And I was like, I'm, I'm worse than you. Like by far, not by a little bit, but by far. But I, I, I don't want you. Listen, this is going to harm you. Let me tell you what my experience has shown with my own lies. Let me tell you how that's ruined my relationships. And let me tell you some of the stuff that you're doing, how I lived through it and how it harmed. Right. So it was like, I'm not even sure that, you know, because like kids are just, oh, okay, thanks. All right. <laughs> and then they leave. And it's like, you have no idea if it's sunk in or if it's going to sink in two years from now. You don't know. But here's what I know. It's, I gave her at that point, not what she wanted, but I gave her what she needed. If you're a husband who, for the sake of peace, allows your wife to, to act in cold or mean-spirited ways, you are growing in bitterness and you are not growing in love. You're not giving her what she needs. If you're a wife who keeps the secrets in the house because he tells you, if you tell anyone, that there's going to be real trouble. You're not growing in love. And I know those, believe me, I know, those moments can be super scary. But you're not growing in love. You're not giving them what they need. Give them what they need. It says here, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. I've always found that last line super interesting because it kind of appeals to my revenge nature. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, ah, ha, ha, fry. And, um, and actually, what, the, what that text means is what, when you heap coals on them, which, which, what it means is that when you're loving towards someone, and you see this in Proverbs 15.1, right? A soft word turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. What happens is when I love someone, that has been mean-spirited to me, and I do it in the spirit of Christ, reminding, reflecting on how much Christ has forgiven and loved me, and then overflowing that to them. Here's what I find. I find that the coals that we're talking about here is the conviction that they feel about their sin. I remember one time I was working, and I was complaining to God uh, about Liz, right, about my wife, <laughs> which I'm sure she was at the same time doing the same thing. And I was, uh, I was talking to the Lord. I was like, oh, God, she's being so disrespectful. And it's like, this is back when I worked at the Atlantic. I was like year 2000 or something like that. Um, and I remember telling God, and I remember the Lord whispering to my heart, because I would love to tell her how bad she's being if I could only get her to... Uh, turn a blind eye to how much of a jerk you've been. That, that idea that I was being mean-spirited to my wife. And of course she couldn't see her own sin. She was too busy seeing mine. And I know none of you married folks are like that at all. This is unique between us. I get that. But listen, That's what it means to put burning coals on someone's head, that you are going to love them like Christ loved them, and you are going to allow the Spirit of God to bring conviction in their lives. You are not the Holy Spirit. They are. You are not the Holy Spirit. God is the Holy Spirit. And He can bring about conviction. You can. Okay. Then fifthly, give them what they need humbly. 
Don't just give them what they need. Give them what they need humbly. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. Romans 12, 16. You see, they don't just, if you're not broken over your own sin, whenever you're trying to forgive someone else, you're not going to be able to come with them. You're not going to be able to give them what they need humbly. Now, everything that I told you is kind of an act of the will. You can decide to do it, but you and I both know we don't do well with that, right? Have you noticed that about yourself, right? That you can do stuff up until a certain point. Here's the thing. When you see, when you see Jesus who has had to forgive you, think about this. Your sin is so grievous that God, the king of the universe, who knows all things, could not think of another way for you to be forgiven. That's how heinous your sins are. I know you think that his blood was shed for really more for guys like me. You know, guys who are like super bad and like have done terrible things and, you know, gone to 12-step programs and want to break people's kneecaps and alleys and things like that. I know, I know. But here's the thing. The Bible says that we are all, every one of us, full of pride and sin. Well, I mean, full of the things of sin, pride, self-righteousness. We think we know better than God. Beloved, when you look at the cross and someone hurts you, the, the temptation is to go, I would never do that to anyone. Oh, wait. While I've never molested anyone, I know what it's like to have taken advantage of people all throughout my life. I've done it many times. I know what it's like to use my power to gain my way through manipulation, through smooth talk, through bribery, through all this stuff. I know what that's like. So I can go in that moment, I could go, God, is this the anger that I feel right now, is this what you feel when I manipulate you to get what I want, when I manipulate others to get what I want, when I... I'm like, oh man, that's terrible. And so when I sense my need for forgiveness, as much as I need to forgive, I need more forgiveness, I'm reminded of him dying on the cross for my sin, which is far worse because anybody who's ever sinned against me has sinned against another sinner while I have sinned against the sinless, perfect God who's meant me nothing but good. So, it is an opportunity for us to reflect the goodness. And so you can go to Christ, run to him, feel his forgiveness, and allow it to overflow on others. You go, but that's not fair. And the reason we say that that's not fair is because A, it doesn't feel fair from our perspective. And B, we think that we're in the position of God. Remember what I said before about being on the throne? Right? And so, basically, what that looks like is this is the throne of our hearts. And we, we go to the Lord. We go, hey God, why don't you take, take a day off? 
Take a break. I'm going to sit on the throne, and I'll tell you what they need. They need to, oh, they, I can't wait. They cheated on me. Ooh, I can't wait to hear on their timeline when they've been cheated on. Or I can't wait to get them back. Or I can't wait to make sure that I even the score. God says, no, no, no. Get off the phone. Get off the phone. And I can feel uncomfortable. Because that means you have to trust that God is for us. And that even if we don't see it, we have a long view. Because, again, in Jesus' mind, says, so, My encouragement to you is as you go into your groups and discuss this, that you become vulnerable. And believe me, that's tough. It's really tough. To be the first person to be vulnerable in a group is really tough. But we all wrestle with it. The reason that I've tried to be as... I've tried to confess some ridiculous things in our time together, things that like are you probably haven't heard many pastors talk about, is because I want to give you permission to not worry about saving face or looking good. I want you to be concerned about being loved and then extending that love, and in this case, in forgiveness. I'm going to pray for you. Father, thank you so much. Um, I pray, Lord. Lord, you know where I struggle with this very issue. You know that. You know that. You know that. Better than I do. And so, Lord, would you lead me to forgiveness? Would you not only lead me to forgiveness, but would you lead us to forgiveness? Would you help us to be a people who are broken before you, who recognize that you had to forgive much to be in relationship with us? Give us wisdom to know who we can forgive. And Lord, give us wisdom to know um, how to do this. Help us to talk to our uh, small groups and pastors. And, and Father, move in a deep and powerful way in these groups. Help us to become vulnerable. Help us to be a people who are willing uh, to risk uh, not looking the best for the sake of receiving and overflowing your love. For we pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you.